Well, good morning, and um, welcome back, and um, do not get out of your seat. I'm watching. Um, Last night, we talked about um, improving conscious contact with God Uh, the 11th step of the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, and all the other 12-step programs, by the way. Um, And I suggested that that was a good choice of words to improve our conscious contact with God. We don't have to get contact with God. We don't have to do something special, you know, do a special dance or do a special motion or ritual in order for God to be in contact with us. That God is in contact with us by the very fact that we're breathing. Whatever we believe about God, we might all have different uh, understandings of God, different ways that we um, uh, relate to God, the, the different ways we name God, perhaps. But I think the thing that all of us could agree upon is that power greater than ourselves who gives us life and breath. So I'd like to begin uh, this morning, just take a moment and just take a couple of deep breaths, you know. And just be aware of your own breath. Breathing in and out. Sometimes people find it helpful to close their eyes or just look at a spot in front of you or be silent just for this moment. Be still. And even though there's a couple of a hundred of us in the room, we're alone in the spot that we're in. So be silent, be still, alone, empty before God. Say nothing, ask nothing, just be silent, be still, and let your God look at you. That's all. God knows. You know, it's not the wah, wah, wah. It's like, oh, wow, she said that. Gee, you know, it's a prayer. (laughs) What you hear is much more important than what I say. So just pay attention to, you know, what's coming through to you. Uh, As you flip through this, what... Is there anything that, there's one on page 54. Thank you, Jesus, for my Christmas in jail. Oh, wow. Uh, There you go. Um, On on page page 60 are some of the 12-step prayers, the third, you know, the uh, prayer from the third step and the prayer from the seventh step. Uh, There's a very short prayer there from... um, Father Michael Judge, um, who was the first reported casualty on 9-11, the um, chaplain for the fire department, 
Lord, take me where you want me to go. Let me meet whom you want me to meet. Tell me what you want me to say and keep me out of the way. Simple prayer. He was one of us. He was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Died, uh, was buried on his anniversary, actually. I think his 23rd or 24th anniversary, Michael Judge. So there's all sorts of different ones. If you don't like any of them, you know, give it away. Do whatever. Okay. Uh, but just try to make this weekend a little bit, a little bit different for yourself. That you're going to be open to, maybe God wants to bless you in, um, in some particular way this weekend. Uh, maybe just giving a little bit of quiet time. Allow God to bless you. It's not that you have to do something to, you know, uh, measure up or to show God that you're so uh, wonderful. It's like just sit back, let God bless you. Maybe it's through a little bit of quiet. Maybe it's through one of those prayers. Maybe it's through a meditation. Um, maybe it's through talking to others. Maybe you, you know, talk to someone and say, what do you think she meant by that? And the two of you kind of talk it out or something. Um, allow allow God to, to bless you. And... Um, God will. God will. That's for sure. So, why don't we close by praying this prayer together. Were there enough for everyone? Good. Wonderful. So, take a couple of deep breaths. I I suggest that God is as close to us as our very breath. We're all breathing on our own. Great gift. God understands. God loves you with an enormous love. This one who gives life and breath. God only wants to look at you with love. So be quiet, be still, just be, let your God love you. Amen. That um, little meditation is from a woman. It's not my own. I don't like to take credit for things. Um, is a woman by the name of Edwina Gately. A great, great woman. So that's what we want to do this weekend. It's just kind of be and open ourselves up and, um, and be ourselves before God. Now, for some people, that is a frightening thought <laughs> because of the, the um, concepts of God or the understandings of God that we've gotten. Maybe what we've been told, maybe by what we've heard. You know, remember last night I said, what you hear is more important than what I say. And I know I grew up in a very strong religious family, um, went to Catholic schools, um, you know, all 12 years uh, elementary and high school. So I got it good. Um, 
And I didn't, I don't know if they said um, the God is going to get you kind of stuff, but it was certainly what I heard, you know, that I had to do certain things. I had to. Now, in there, I must have heard about a caring, loving God, or I don't think I would have responded by saying, yeah, I'll buy into that. I'll hitch my wagon to that star and live my life that way. So I must have heard both. But I certainly heard a lot about my my thinking I had to measure up in order to please God. Um, and... Um, and so all of us have different notions of God. Maybe, maybe our God is, um, you know, the policeman God that, that's going to look out and, and look for what you're doing wrong and uh, that type of thing. Or maybe, maybe our God is the Santa Claus God. God's only going to give me good things if I'm good. And, you know... And we pray, Lord, make me a channel of thy peace, that where there is hatred, I may bring love, that where there is a wrong, I may bring a spirit of forgiveness, that where there is discord, I may bring harmony, that where there is error, I may bring truth, that where there is doubt, I may bring faith, that where there is despair, I may bring hope, that where there are shadows, I may bring light, that where there is sadness, I may bring joy. Lord, grant that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted, to understand than to be understood to love than to be loved. For it is by self-forgetting that one finds. It is by forgiving that one is forgiven. It is by dying that we are is for, to eternal life. Amen. Thank you for your, your um, wonderful attention tonight. I was... Uh, uh, it's very, very touched by it, and uh, look forward to continuing tomorrow. Does anyone have to make announcements before or anything? Okay, thank you all very much. There was one thing I was supposed to knows when I'm naughty and nice and all that kind of stuff, um, or. Um, Maybe my God is is the um, you know just kind of meek and mild and everything's fine and um, you know people have different different understandings of God or the judge you know the, the God is the one that's going to judge me and, and pronounce me you know guilty or not guilty and that's who I think God is. Um, a friend of mine you know, he's he's gone to gone to God a good number of years. Um, in, uh, she was one of the Franciscan sisters that, uh, uh, in my community. And uh, she was confronted with her alcoholism when she was in her 60s. And so she had been in uh, the convent, in religious life, in the order, whatever you want to call it, for uh, probably 40 years. 
or so. And uh, she got shipped off to, to treatment in Hazelden in Minnesota. And she got there and she was assigned uh, a Lutheran pastor as her primary counselor. Well, Maggie wasn't too happy about this. This was back in the 70s, I guess, early 70s, maybe late 60s. I can't remember exactly when. But um, she knew what was right, and she knew all about God. She'd been, you know, doing her deal for a good long time. And so she gets assigned this Lutheran pastor as her as her counselor, and she was mad about that to begin with. Well, she was mad to be there, as you can imagine. And, and she's mad that she gets assigned this Lutheran pastor, this good, holy Catholic nun. And um, in one of the sessions, the, pa- the counselor said to her, Maggie, your God is too small. And she was horrified. And what did he mean? And blah, blah, blah. Well, then she, um, you know, when you're in treatment or, you know, in a correctional facility, you have a lot of time to yourself that you can think. And um, so she thought about it and, and she came to the conclusion, yeah, that she had defined her God in this little box and it was, you know, the creed and everything that we say and this is it. And she didn't allow God to be more than what she thought God was. And um, so that was a big turning point for her. And she, um, to, to this day, and I think Maggie died in 95 or 96, I go to meetings and hear people quoting her that, um, you know, as Sister Maggie would say, you know, your God's too small. So I invite people to look at their understanding of God because it says God as we understand him. God as we understand God. And so it's important for us to look at what is our understanding. And I've come to, I do not understand God. I'm here to tell you, you got duped because they didn't send you someone who understands God. I do not understand God, but I do experience. I do experience. Now, I have some understanding. You know, I can, you know, read wise uh, people that have gone before me and what they have to say. I can read the scriptures, which, you know, in my tradition, I believe is God's word come down to us uh, in a literary form written by uh, people at a certain time in a certain manner. I, I can I have some of those kinds of understandings, but I think the important thing that comes down for any one of us is what is my experience? And so we have to um, use the 12 steps to help us to experience God. And my experience is God usually works through and reveals God's self through other people. That's that's my experience. Um, so we have to look at a whole notion of who God is. And uh, when we say, you know, in the third step, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the yeah. of God as we understand him. It's like, notice it says Kia. It, C-A-R-E, you, you can say it right. I can't. Um, over to the care of God. It's not we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the judgment of God, you know, but to the care of God, that God is going to care for us. 
And, and take a look around. I mean, the, the group of women that brings a meeting in here is called Hearts of Hope. You know, it's not, uh, you know, the, the um, I'm coming in to straighten you up, you know. This is what we're this is what we're about, you know. But bring the word in because it is they they come with their hearts and hope that there is something beyond what's what's happening today for you. So um, and that's I believe that's how God reveals God's self is is through people like that who say, okay, how can we do this? I believe that it the um, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous and the other 12-step programs that have come from that are God-given. Absolutely. I think the, um, the, there's one spiritual writer, Richard Rohr, who, who writes a lot about spiritual things. And um, he, he says that he believes, and I agree with this, so he must be right, uh, the uh, um, greatest contribution to spirituality made in the United States, made in America in the 20th century was the founding of Alcoholics Anonymous. It, I mean, it had a huge effect, huge effect. There are millions of people involved in 12-step programs because two people got together and helped each other. Two people. So if you think you're too small to do anything, two people got together and look what, what has happened. So, um, if we're going to seek to improve our conscious contact with God, it's important for us to, to just think about what is my understanding of God and be open enough to, to, you know, let some walls down on that and to, um, I, I was, I was saying to, um, Martha as we were driving here, uh, this morning, um, People who are absolutely certain of how things are and how God is and this is how it is really scare me, you know. Uh, we'll be looking later on in, in the, the prayer that we're, we're using um, where there is doubt, let me bring faith. Um, I don't think doubt is a bad thing. And, and to me, doubt is not the opposite of faith. Uh, the opposite of faith is certainty. Because if you're certain, you don't have to, you don't have to have faith. You're certain. So that's it. That's the end of that story. But um, but when we have faith, we're saying, I don't totally understand. I'm not certain of this, but I believe. I will cast my, my lot with that. And so it's a natural thing to every now and then think, I wonder if that was right. I went... So doubts are normal. The, the good thing is, I'm here to tell you, is usually we don't all doubt on the same day. So if I'm doubting, there's someone around that's still believing, and they kind of carry me along. And okay, Kathy, just come along with us and stop thinking so much, or something like that. So, so when we we um, uh, go to a prayer like the the prayer that I gave you last night, the one that's from the the twelve and twelve of Alcoholics Anonymous, 12 Steps, 12 Traditions, um, then and we say, Lord, make me a channel of your peace. 
it's good for us to think about who is this that I'm praying to? Who is the God of my understanding? And if you don't have a God of your understanding, not to worry. Not to worry. That's God's work. So ask God to say, okay, I, don't, I have no idea who you are. How about if you reveal yourself to me? My experience is it's not usually, you know, and you get knocked down and, oh, that's it. Now, that, that might happen for you if that's what God thinks you need. But generally, I mean, I would say you start talking to people and you ask them, what, what's your understanding of God? Or, you know, you go to an AA meeting and um, when they say, does anyone have a topic, instead of doing the, you know, meditation on the styrofoam cup because no one wants to look up, um, you might say, could people talk about the third step and what it means to them? Or, you know, how did you come to believe there's a power greater than yourself? Or whatever. And so you, you hear other people, and then, but then always, then what's my experience? What is my experience? Um, so when we pray, and that's, that's what we're going to use, is that, that prayer that I gave you last night. Uh, Lord, make me a channel of your peace. Who is Lord? And maybe for you, it's like, ugh, it's so masculine. I don't, you know, we don't talk about Lords and that. We'll put another word in there, you know. God, make me a channel of your peace. Or uh, wisdom, make me a channel of your peace. Or spirit, make me a channel of your peace. You can... Uh, you can put any name in in for uh, in for God, um, and and different people call God by different names. You know, uh, the in in the uh, in Islam it would be called Allah, and Allah is good, um, and so it, it's that's not important. It, the important thing is that you're you're trying to find. The name for God or the word for God that that resonates in your heart, because that's ultimately that's where you meet God. It's not necessarily in church, but yes, I mean obviously I'm not going to badmouth churches. I go once in a while, you know what I mean? um, like every day. Um, but um, but that's not where we go to find God. God is wherever we are. That's incredible. And you might think, well, you're not here, Kathy, you know. God is wherever we are because uh, we're breathing. So we have the breath of God. We have the, the spirit of God. So the important thing, we remember it's a prayer. This isn't a mission statement, you know. It's not, Lord, I am a channel of your peace. Where there is hatred, I will bring love. Where there is wrong, I will bring a spirit of forgiveness. Where there is discord, I will bring harmony. Where there is error, I will bring truth, because I have it, you know. Where there is doubt, I will bring faith. Where there is despair, I will bring hope. Where there are shadows, I will bring light. Where there is sadness, oh God knows, I will bring joy, whether you want it or not. Um, so that's not the prayer. But I think sometimes that's how I prayed it. Or I thought that, well, you know, I'm a nun. Um, I'm in AA. I should be um, an instrument of God's peace. That's what I'm supposed to be. Uh, but no, it's a prayer. Like, like um, you know, Jack said to me those many years ago about the serenity prayer. It's a prayer, Kathy. You don't have serenity to accept what you can't change. You don't have courage to change what needs to be changed. And 
you do not have wisdom to know one from the other. So you need to ask for it. That's a prayer. So it's the same with this one. I don't have within me the ability to be an an instrument of God's peace or a channel of God's peace, this, this translation. So I'm asking, God, you do it. You make me a channel of your peace. You do it. I can't. I, you know, I'll mess it up for sure. So it's not, it's not, I mean, it's a prayer. That where there is hatred, I may bring love. I believe the way God makes us instruments of God's peace is through the everyday stuff of our lives, our real lives. Not how they should be, not how they could be if we had made better choices, not how um, someone else thinks my life should be, but how my life is today. That's what God uses. You messed up, I can u- God is saying to you, I can use that. I can use that to make you an instrument of, of, of uh, my peace. And obviously, I believe the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and NA and Al-Anon and OA and all the other A's, those steps can God can use to make us instruments of God's peace. That when we admit powerless and unmanageability, it's kind of like if you think of, of channel like the English channel that connects... And I always, I always mix it up. But anyway, connects the North Sea and the Atlantic Ocean. Does anyone know for sure? Have a map in front of you? Okay, then you, you, that's it. it. It connects two bodies of water. Huh? Um, that, that had to be dug out. Or maybe it's, in natural channels, it's done over the millennia by water pushing back and, and hollowing it out. Um, if... Um, if we wanted to, to dig a channel that's going to connect two bodies of water, there'd be some digging out to do so that, that water could flow from one to the other. That would be a channel. Um, in, in the, the instruments, uh, it, it, say we're, taking, we're, we're making um, uh, a flute. Well, there would be some hollowing out and some, some working this or a violin. You've got to take wood and, and shape it and all of this stuff. That stuff of making instruments or making um, channels, I believe the 12 steps is the work that can make us into those channels. So the admitting powerless and unmanageability, the coming to believe that a power greater than ourselves, maybe I don't understand that power, but I can look around and see, oh, that person was able to stay away from a drink or a drug one day at a time, and now, my goodness, they've got three months. Wow, how did they ever do that? Or they've got three years, or then you get some old lady that gets up there and says she's got 30 one year it's like wow God, if we could do it for, if it works for her maybe it could work for me you know um, so we come we come to believe and, and and then making that decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God all of those things can make us if, if we if we pay attention to them so we pray Lord make me a channel of your peace that where there is hatred I may bring love. 
So it's, it, we, we see it's God's work, and uh, we're asking that where this hatred I may bring love. Well, if we're going to do that, we have to look at ourselves. So we look at where is there hatred in me? And so the steps can help us do that because, you know, we list resentments and we do the fourth step and, and, and that type of thing. Um, but I can look at, okay, where is there hatred in me? Whom do I hate? Um, and, and look at that. Am I willing to let go of the hatred? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not willing. Well... It's only going to eat you up. So we have to look at ourselves first, that if there's hatred, I'm able to bring love. And maybe hatred's a strong word, but what are my resentments? What are my dislikes? What are my prejudices against people? What are my angers? What are my jealousies? That's the kind of stuff I have to look at and be willing to let go of. Um, What are my fears? But the worst hatred there is, because it's going to color everything else, the worst hatred that there is is self-hatred, the hatred of self. That when we hate ourselves, that just gets into everything. It's how I view other people. If I hate myself and I, I see myself as unworthy, if I see myself as um, defective, and if I see myself as um, just a big mistake, if that's what I see myself as, that's what I'm going to see other people as. I'm going to put it off on them. So if I'm that bad, you're no better. Well, maybe there's a few people, and I'll hold them up on pedestals, but they're to be admired, not imitated. But if that, so the first thing we have to do is really look at ourselves. The steps help us to do that. The 12, it's not some big complicated, I've got to get into, you know, the right therapist and then I'll, you know, if I get the best one, they're gonna, they're gonna work, they're gonna work this whole thing and then I'll get fixed. No. It's, we can look at ourselves. It's really interesting. Um, if, if you read, um, the history of Alcoholics Anonymous, some things that happened before Dr. Bob um, Smith and Bill Wilson got together, um, there, there was a, a man who could not get sober, had all the money in the world, he was a very wealthy family in Rhode Island, as a matter of fact, and he, he was a hopeless alcoholic. His family had all sorts of money. They sent him to the best places, and he would... He would get dried up, you know, and he'd be fine, and he was a great upstanding man, and then he would drink, and it all started over again. Just total puzzlement to everyone. They finally sent him to Switzerland to Carl Jung, who was a very uh, prominent uh, psychiatrist at the time, and uh, they sent him to him, and this is absolutely the best. you, You don't get any better than that. And so Carl Leon worked with him. He got sober. He was wonderful, fine, upstanding man. And he drank again. And he goes back to Carl Jung. And Carl Jung, to his great credit, did not just say, okay, well, well, we'll keep trying again. Because, you know, he said, there's nothing I or my profession, there's nothing more that we can do for you. 
The only thing I believe that will help you is a spiritual experience, a spiritual turnaround. And so he sent him off to go find that. And that gentleman, Roland Hazard, was his name. He went to the Oxford group. Is it group or movement? Group. The Oxford groups and had that spiritual experience. And then he told a friend of his, that friend, Ebby, went to Bill Wilson and told him, and that's how the whole thing got started. But it went back. So don't think, oh, you know, I haven't, you know, if I just could get the right therapist. No. (laughs) Use the steps. It's what you have. Use the steps to get that self-knowledge, because I believe, and I know, Someone's going to quote the big book to me, self-knowledge will not keep you sober. It won't, but it can help you get sober. That, and it can help you get to know yourself and get rid of your self-hatred. Because it's the worst kind of hatred. It's going to color everything. And uh, so the self-knowledge. Because when we hate ourselves, and I, I, any given day I can go back to it. It's like, oh, God. Really screwed up this time. I am such a loser. And it's like, okay, Kathy, get a grip here. When we're down on ourselves, when we hate ourselves, it's because we only have part of the picture. We don't have the full picture. So the self knowledge can help us get the whole picture. And yes, it can make us very uncomfortable. There's there's a line from the Christian scriptures, the truth will set you free. And first, but this line isn't in there, but first it will make you very uncomfortable. So that's what the steps do, is they they make us look at ourselves and we can get the, the whole picture. And then, because we're not doing this in isolation, it's not when, when, um, that night in, in August of 1979 when, when someone was saying to me, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's alcohol. I mean, that's what your problem is. You're powerless over it. You're drinking the way you're drinking because you can't not drink that way. And I said, I'm afraid you're going to tell me I have to go to AA. And he said, I'm not going to tell you I have to do anything. But you can't do it alone. I thought, well, I know I can't do it alone. I need God's help. So it's going to be me and God and the sunlight coming through the stained glass windows and I'll get sober. You know, I'll do all this. It's, no, we don't do it alone. We have to do it with other people because if we did that fourth step and did a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves, of really looking at ourselves and naming the things we feel guilty about, or maybe we do it by the book and name resentments and so forth, or maybe we do it another way and just write our life story. It, you know, it doesn't have to be done a, a particular way. Um, when I did my fourth step, I wrote down every... I'm Irish, so I feel, felt guilty about lots of things. And uh, so I just wrote down everything I felt guilty about. As far as I could remember, the things I felt guilty about. Now, if I did that by myself, and, and I did. I mean, I was alone, but I did it. it was, God, I was locking up the paper at night, and I don't even see this. Um, if I just did that by myself, and then, you know, okay, I admit to myself and to God. So I'm like, okay, God, here it is. I'm really, this is, this is it, you know, whatever. I am sure it would not be long before... I doubted that experience. 
And so the wisdom, the simple wisdom of Alcoholics Anonymous says, and another human being. So we have to say it out loud to someone. Not to everyone. You know, we don't do fifth steps at meetings. Okay, folks, here, here we go. And it's like, no. Uh, but we find someone that is safe to do that with. It's important because if, if we just keep it within ourselves, it's not, it's not going to be long before we, well, I thought I admitted. You need to get it out to another human being. And that can help with that self-hatred. Because what we do, what the experience of just about everyone that I have talked to is, they say it out loud, and the self-knowledge that comes is, I'm not that different from everyone else. That I'm accepted. The person that I say it to just receives it with no judgment. Maybe some identification in different things like, oh, yeah, I did that. Or, uh, but no judgment. That's, this is how it is. This is how it is. I can't, you, I can't change the past, nor can you. Even God cannot change the past. So there's no going back to, well, if I hadn't done this, everything would be fine. It's like, well, I did it. So you did it, whatever. And so we, we, we take things as, as, we, as they are. The real us. There's a, a great uh, Christian writer in uh, the last century, uh, Thomas Merton, who talks about being the real me before the real God. The real me. Just as I am with everything that I think is wonderful about me and everything that is awful about me, being that person before God. And so that's what the steps help us to do. So if we can move from that self-hatred of being down on ourselves to self-love, where I see my, my worthiness, and I'm worthy not because of anything I've done, See, that's not what what makes me worthy. What makes me worthy is that I've been created by God. That for some reason, I'm here. You know? None of us chose this. I I guess there is a line of thought that we choose our parents and we choose... I I don't understand that. But my understanding is that that we were created. You know? And um, we came into being. Not because of anything we did but because of God's choice. Had lots of choices, and here we are. Wow. So we don't have to do anything to be worthy. We are, because we've been made. So if we can gradually let go of the self-hatred and move toward that self-love, of knowing myself loved by God, knowing myself loved by God, and I can't say it often enough, the steps will help you get there. The steps help the, blah, 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 blah. the steps helped me get there. So then maybe it's possible that when I confront hatred, I'm able to bring love. That's all to bring it. I'm not responsible for making them love each other. I'm not responsible for them, um, making them love themselves. But all I'm praying is that I be an instrument of peace, that where there is hatred, I can bring some love. 
doesn't mean I'm going to dispel all hatred in the world because, you know, now that, oh, okay, I'll get on my horse and we'll fix all of that. All I'm going to do is bring it. Or the other, uh, is this one bring? Yeah. The other translation of this prayer that, Lord, make me an instrument, that where there is hatred, I may sow love. It's the same thing. I bring it uh, just as um, if, if any of you are gardeners, you know, you sow seeds. You just put them down. You don't make them grow. You just put them there. And you, know, you can create um, conditions that are going to be helpful for them to grow. So you have the right soil. You know, you make sure they get watered or whatever. You don't, you know, plant something that needs sunlight in the shade. You know, so you have some basic things you do. But you can't make seeds grow. That's God's work. That's the work of all of these things coming together. And then you get uh, kale or (laughs) flowers or um, potatoes or whatever. So so we're not saying where there is hatred, let me be the one that makes love come. No, it's like, let me just bring it. I bring my own. But I can't bring it if I'm hating myself. So whatever work you need to do, whatever work you need to do, it's worthy of doing so that you get rid of the self-hatred. It serves you no, no purpose at all. There's no virtue that, oh, I'm the worst person in the world. That's grandiosity. That's no different from saying I'm the best person in the world, you know. I'm just the greatest. No, I'm the worst, you know. Serves absolutely no purpose because you're not, you know. There's, there's got to be someone that's. Someplace, you know. So don't go, don't even bother going there. It's like, what do I need to do to my, open myself up to the sunlight of the Spirit, to open myself up to God's love? And then you just do whatever that is, a day at a time. It's like, ooh, that's a big job. Well, then start today. That's, that's all we can do. We pray that where there is injury, I may bring pardon. Uh, how is it worded here? Where there is wrong, I may bring a spirit of forgiveness. That's how the, the wording of the prayer that I gave you. <sighs> forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. Okay. Some basic things that I like to say about forgiveness, because I, I have come to believe the most important issue in people's lives is forgiveness. It's by none. I... I don't mean just alcoholics and addicts. I don't mean just people in correctional facilities. I don't mean uh, just uh, certain groups of people. Everyone, the most important thing is forgiveness because it's, it's the root of most people's problems is, is, is the lack of forgiveness. So what is forgiveness? Ah, God. We can say a lot about it. First of all, I'd like to say what it's not. There's, there's some, um, some myths about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not saying it never happened. Okay. Well, let, me, let me start. My working definition, I'll, I will start with what it is because it's not real helpful to just keep saying what it's not. My working definition of forgiveness is the willingness to let go of a hurt. That's all it is. The willingness to let go of a hurt. So, what it's not, it's not saying the hurt never happened. 
It's acknowledging that I have been hurt. In some way, I've been hurt. Something has happened to hurt me. And I am willing, with forgiveness, I am willing to let it go. I am willing to heal it. Because if we've been hurt, there's some healing that has to take place. I am willing to to let it go. So it's not denying. And some hurts are bigger than others, like I have to tell you that. But if you find that every single little infraction of, you know, what you think is is right for you builds up, I'm never going to forgive them, you know. But there's there's degrees of hurt. There's degrees of hurt. So if we're going to, to forgive, we have to acknowledge that I have been hurt. So it's not saying it never happened. Forgiveness is not minimizing. It's not saying, well, it really wasn't that bad, you know wasn't that bad. Look what other people have to live with. Mine wasn't that bad. If you've been hurt, it's your hurt. And it doesn't matter what other people's is like. I, I can go there. It's like, when I think of what some people have had to endure, you know, what I've had to put up with is, is minimal, so it's like, I'll just gloss over it. No, I still need to let it go. I still need to let go of the hurt, whatever it was for me. So it's not... Denying, it's not minimizing, it's not condoning, it's not saying, it's okay, it's okay if you hurt me. It's, it's not condoning. It's not saying, um, well, you know, they, they really have a right to do whatever it is they do. No. If I've been hurt, I've been hurt. Whether the person intended it or not, I have to look at what has happened to me. Okay, so it, it's not those things. And forgiveness is not forgetting. I don't know who came up with forgive and forget. You know. As long as we have memories. When I was a kid, my mother used to say to me, Kathy, your memory is a wonderful thing. Don't ever take it for granted. And I, I used to memorize poetry a lot. And um, so I would be, you know, she'd be cooking and I'd be spouting off the latest poem. I, God bless her. She probably wanted to get out of here with your snow began and the gloaming and busily all the night and that kind of stuff. But anyway, she used to say, Kathy, your memory is a wonderful thing. Don't ever take it for granted. My mother in her later years lost her memory, lost her memory. And so she didn't know us when we came in. You know, I would go see her and she'd say, uh, I'd say, Ma, it's Kathy. I have a daughter, Kathy. And I'd say, well, yeah, Ma, that's, that's me. I'm Kathy. I want you sweet to say that. <laughs> like, no, it's me, Ma, really. You know? um, but, and so I'm sure that in, in that loss of memory, she also lost the memory of all those grudges that she held against the, the, uh, whoever had done her wrong, and my mother was one to really hold on to some of those things. I'm sure they were gone. Maybe not. They say that the definition of of Irish Alzheimer's is you forget everything but the grudges or everything but the guilt, whatever, you know. I can do that because I'm Irish. I can, you know, make those jokes, but anyhow, I don't want to forget my hurts that way. Thank you. I would like to keep my memory. I would like to hold on. So 
the the thing of forgive and forget, I don't know that it's that wise. Because as long as we have memories, we're going to be reminded of things. So maybe um, I have uh, forgiven um, uh, you know, someone in my family who really hurt me. And I've done the hard work and I've let go of the hurt. I'm putting it aside. I'm getting on with it. And the person is, you know, whatever. I've, I've, I have forgiven the hurt. And then I walk into a department store and I go through the perfume section and I get a whiff of white linen. And that's what she used to wear. And the memory comes back. What's important, and so the memory comes back and I remember the hurt. So I haven't forgotten it. And so am I going to say, well, see, you really didn't forgive? No. The memory comes back because I've got a memory. What I do with it at that point is what's important. Do I, you know, relive it and let, you know, oh, go over all the gory details and then, you know, go home and then uh, or go uh, have coffee with a friend and say, do you know what happened then? And this is what she did. If I have forgiven, then I let it go. The memory comes back and I say, yeah, there it is again. And maybe I say a prayer for the person or, you know, get on to something else or go reach out and help someone else. So forgive and forget, I don't find helpful. And I find it more damaging when people say, say, gee, I thought I had forgiven, but I remembered it. So I guess I didn't because I haven't forgotten it. Oh, no. What do you do when the memory comes back? So those things aren't forgiveness. The big one that I think we get mixed up with, with forgiveness, forgiveness is not reconciliation. Forgiveness is the willingness to let go of a hurt. Reconciliation, on the other hand, is restoration of a relationship. One person, with God's grace, can choose to forgive. Only takes one to forgive. Only takes the one to be willing to let go of the hurt. Reconciliation, on the other hand, by its very nature, takes two. I think sometimes we don't forgive because we can't or we won't reconcile. And so we think, well, I can't forgive because I don't want to restore that relationship or I can't restore that relationship. Two separate things. And Forgiveness is for me. It's not for the other person. Forgiveness is so that I will let go of the hurt. They have hurt me once or maybe many times, and I continue hurting myself with it because I won't let go of it or I'm carrying it around. Forgiveness. One person with God's grace can make a decision to let go of the hurt, to heal the hurt, to do the hard work that it takes to heal the hurt. Reconciliation, by its very nature, takes two. Sometimes I might want to reconcile and the other person doesn't. Beyond my power. Maybe I don't want to reconcile because it would be dangerous to do that. I should not be back in that relationship. 
Maybe they want to reconcile. And I don't. I don't. That's all right. That's all right. Forgiveness does not mean I have to reconcile. Forgiveness means I will let go of the hurt. I'll stop carrying it around and clutching it to myself like the most precious thing in the world. I'm not going to define myself by I'm the one that got hurt. That's called being a victim, you know. Um, so reconciliation is something separate. It, when it's desirable, sure, we work at it and we do the stuff that's necessary. But I think an, my experience tells me an awful lot of people don't forgive because they think they have to. If I forgive, then I'm going to have to reconcile. Mm-mm. Separate things, totally separate, totally separate. Um, so that forgiveness is, I, I think, the most important thing that we, the most important work that we do, if you will, the willingness to let go, to, that I'm not going to, to hold on to these things. I'm not going to let them define me. So I might have to forgive others. I might have to forgive myself. Forgiveness of self is a huge thing. Can I forgive myself for the mistakes I've made? Can I forgive myself for the, maybe they're not mistakes, maybe it's stuff I did intentionally. And I thought it wasn't a mistake. I knew what I was doing and I didn't give a damn. Can I forgive myself for those things? Huge, huge thing. Will I be willing to let that go? Yes, that's who I was. It's not who I am today. Yes, I am capable of that. I could do it again tomorrow. But I'm choosing today not to act that way. Can I forgive myself and say, yeah, you know, you really messed up. But hey, today's a new day. And that's the, the simple wisdom of Alcoholics Anonymous. says, One day at a time. Each day a new beginning is one of the books a lot of people like. That we start over each day. Maybe we have to forgive God. Forgive God. Oh, no. Um, Well, if our image of God has been this Santa Claus God that's going to take care of me and do everything, and I believe, you know, God is all good, all loving, then where was God when this happened? So, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that that's the true image of God, that God is, oh, I'll let that happen to her, I don't care, oh, I won't let that happen to her. I, I go crazy when I hear people say, <laughs> this is a silly example, but a few years ago we had a storm come through our property at the retreat house that I'm at in Tampa. And there was quite a bit of damage of trees and that on the property. Nothing, you know, no one was hurt or anything. Now, in the area there were Trailers wiped out, people's homes gone, and you know, you know what hurricanes do. On our piece of property, this tree came down right next to a statue of St. Francis. The statue wasn't hurt, it wasn't touched. A reporter came and was like, oh, and that was going to be the focus of her story, that this tree came down and somehow saved this statue. I was like, please don't do that. I have trouble in believing in a God who is going to protect this 
plaster statue of, you know, someone who lived in the 13th century and someone else's house is being decimated by a tree in the lawn. Come on, you know. So if that's the image of God we have, that God, you know, manipulates these things. And we was God when I was going through the horrors that I was going through, whatever it might be, losing the home or being raped or being uh, violated in some other way. We was God then. So maybe that's what I need to do is forgive God for not measuring up to what my image was, of feeling you weren't there. And, you know, scream at God. God can handle it, believe me. If you go to the scriptures in the Old Testament, uh, the, the, the Hebrew scriptures, the Christians call it the Old Testament, the book of Psalms is filled with people yelling at God. I mean, it's also filled with people praising God and worshiping God, but also yelling at God. Where were you? You know, cursing the day they were born. Really, you know, if you read it. So it's like be the real you before the real God. So we need, sometimes we need to forgive God. Now, not everyone agrees with that. I, I, I was doing a workshop with a colleague of mine on this very topic, and it said, how to forgive yourself, others, and God. And I got a scathing letter from someone that was, take me off your mailing list. Well, who do you think you are that we have to forgive God, and God is all good, and you know, well... Good. But, you know, when I, God doesn't measure up to what I think God should be doing, I need to let God off the hook, too. So we need to forgive ourselves. We need to forgive God. We need to forgive others. We need to forgive institutions sometimes. Maybe the churches. Oh, my, what a concept. Um, that have... Uh, because, and I'm not saying their intention, anyone's intention was to, to hurt or to harm, although sometimes... The intention is there. But we've been hurt. some of us have been hurt by churches. That's why I apologize. Any of you who went to Catholic school and you were hurt by the nuns, here's one apologizing for it. I'm sorry that happened. Um, and some people often tell me my best experience was in, uh, was in Catholic schools. I, I felt safe there. I felt at home there. So that was good, too. I'll take credit for that one. My signal for needing more water is that. Um, so we, we need, sometimes we need to forgive institutions. Maybe the state of Indiana, or maybe the, uh, the legal system, or the uh, correctional system, or whatever. If we just go around with bitterness and anger about it, it doesn't help us. Now, sometimes our anger can help us bring about change. And absolutely, we need to we need to do that. But it's that holding on. Thank you so much. You're a dear. Um, we hold we if we're angry. In, in you know the the big book will say we need to leave anger to better people that can handle it. My experience is that that sometimes I need to get angry over a situation in order to change it. And, and so, but that's the stuff we talk about to sponsors. You know, am I angry just because I just love getting angry? Or am I angry because there's a reason here and I can do something with it? So, where there is injury, or what does it say here? Where there is wrong, I may bring a spirit of forgiveness, then we, um, 
we need to look at ourselves first. What are my own hurts? Have I healed them? Have I healed them? Have I been willing to let go of them? To not carry them around and let them define me? If that happens, then God can use us to be instruments or be channels of God's peace. That where there is wrong, where we have, uh, things have been wrong, I can bring a spirit of forgiveness. Because the spirit of forgiveness is in, within me. And I'm not going to hold on to hurts. My experience, ladies, is it's a lifetime process. But we need to open ourselves up to it. And we're, if, if I think as long as we're walking the planet and interacting with other people, we're going to have experiences where we need to do it, where we need to forgive, where we need to let go of hurts. That's my experience. It's not something that's done once and for all. Uh, I went through a situation last weekend where I was very hurt. Um, I was I was angry. Um, and, and I was, even while it was going on, I was thinking, who do you think you are, Kathy, that you can get up and talk about forgiveness, blah, 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 blah. It's not, you know, it's not denial. It's not minimizing. It's not condoning. It's not reconciliation. I got this wonderful thing to tell you. What makes you think you can do that and not have to practice it? It's like, I'd rather not. I'd rather talk about it. Thank you very much. <laughs> I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to deal with it. So that's my experience. That, But you have to start someplace. You have to look at yourself. What are the hurts that I'm holding on to? Are they really worth holding on to? Can you let them go? And it doesn't mean you've got to run to that person and say, oh, by the way, I forgive you. No, not at all. You can forgive them and they never know it. And they probably don't even know they hurt you. In some cases, some cases. And I've done that, where I've let someone know I forget them. And they're like, what? You know, I didn't do anything to you. So I, I was hurt. You know, that's, well, it's your problem. Yeah, it is. So I'm forgiving you. But <clears throat> So we don't always have to tell them. You don't have to always tell them. But it's, it's important. So forgiveness is something you do when you decide to let go of a hurt. Um, so that we can be, when there's wrong, we can bring some kind of a spirit of forgiveness. And, um, okay. The next one prays that where there is, um, well, I'm going to skip down to the one that says where there is doubt, faith. Because I, I alluded to that before. And I said, doubts are not the bad thing. They're really not. The important thing with doubts when it comes to God and believing in God or believing that the program works or believing anything, believing that people are basically good human beings, um, that when we, when we have doubts, share them with someone. Don't just hold them on to yourself. When you have doubts, you share them. Ask others what they do with their doubts. That and then, where there is doubt, we can bring faith. And faith is really a gift. It's a gift from God. So if you say, gee, I'd love to believe the way those women in AA that come in here believe. I wish I could believe the way my grandmother believed or the way uh, my teachers in school believed or the way my pastor believes. I wish I could believe like that. 
ask for the gift. It's a gift. Faith is a gift. It's not something they did to deserve it. It was given. And they they took it and cherished it. I mean, gifts are freely given, but it doesn't really become a gift until it's received. So ask God. Say, I'd love to believe the way those folks believe. Give me the gift. So you ask for it if you don't have it. Accept it when it's given. And don't think it's going to mean you never have doubts. One of the best prayers in the sacred scriptures that I have ever seen is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I do believe, help my unbelief. Because it's both always present. And so we, we ask that, that it's God's work. Remember, it's not something I have to do. But I have to ask God for it. Give me the faith. Give me the faith. Just enough for today. Not, I don't need a lifetime supply. I mean, I'd like it because I'd love not to have to, you know, be bothered with this stuff. But for today, give me enough faith for today. That's the whole meaning of one day at a time. And, and so then when we're in a situation where there's a lot of doubt, maybe we're the ones that bring faith. Or maybe it's sometimes we're the one with doubt and the others have faith. Where there is discord, I may bring harmony. If I'm at peace with myself, if I've done this work of forgiveness, if I've doing this, the, my, my experience tells me when I look around at other people in Alcoholics Anonymous, the ones who really take this seriously and do it, have a sense of peace about them, have some harmony within themselves and with other people. Now, there are some people who, who don't drink and they, they, you know, they don't drink and they go to meetings and they, um, I don't get the same sense of being at peace with themselves and having a sense of harmony. My hunch is, and I don't know, I don't need to, to judge them, but the ones that I notice that have what I want are the people who do this hard work, who do this, the stuff of forgiveness, who do the letting go, who do uh, the reaching out to other people, who are honest with, with each other. So we won't, won't talk. This, you know, you can get in it as, as, uh, as deeply as you want. And it prays where there is despair that I may bring hope. We've all known despair. We've known that rock bottom, and it might be different for different people. It might, I might hear one, and oh my God, that's horrible. How did they ever live through it? And I might hear another one and say, well, it wasn't that bad. doesn't matter. It's ours, whatever ours is. That despair that we knew before we came to Alcoholics Anonymous, that despair of facing the unmanageability, facing the powerlessness and unmanageability, that some kind of despair brings us to step one. We, so we've all experienced it. And we need to remember what it, that was like. That's the simple wisdom of our dis- stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like, what happened, and what we're like now. We've got to remember the despair. Because if we don't, we're li- lively, likely to drink again. If I don't remember what it was like, I can very easily convince myself, you know, it really wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad, you know. And so I have to remember what it was like driving that car in 95 and wanting to drive into an overpass. I have to remember what that's like. So we all knew despair. 
The greatest gift that we get when we walk into Alcoholics Anonymous is the gift of hope. These women from from this area in Madison and uh, Hanover, hearts of hope, that they want to bring hope here to you, that there is hope. There is hope. It's the greatest gift that's given to a newcomer, the gift of hope. And so to give that gift... We're doing, if we're doing the hard work of, of recovery ourselves, then we're there for other people. I think the best 12-step work that people do is occupying a chair at a meeting, that we're there for each other. I hate to think what it would be like if when I faced my alcoholism and, okay, I'll give AA a try, and I went and there was no one there. Really. And, and I've had, I travel a lot, and um, the... Um, uh, and it hasn't happened often, but I'll, I'll, I'll look up, you know, now you can do it online, but then it was getting the book and, okay, and showing up for a meeting and there's no one there. It's an awful, awful feeling, awful feeling. You never want that to happen to a newcomer. When it happened to me, it was like, okay, well, let me find another one. But if someone's right on that brink, I'll give it a try, and they show up and there's nothing there. Oh, what the heck? Oh, go away. So we give hope, we, we, we share, when we share our own stories, we share our experience, strength, and hope with each other. We're instruments of God's peace then, we're channels of God's peace when we share uh, with one another, when we share the hope that we have, and we could spend the whole, whole thing on, on hope if we want And we also pray that where there are shadows, I may bring light. Uh, the other translation is where there is darkness, I may bring light. And so, again, um, when we're in darkness, we can't see anything. We can't see the good, we can't see the bad. We, we just see darkness, you know, and, and usually... Uh, if it's it, the, the darkness, we think, oh, it's all bad. Um, sometime in the dark is good. Sometime in the dark is good. Our very, the way the, 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 as the world turns, we have light and darkness. We have seasons. We have, you know, both are good. If we always had, you know, bright light in parts of the northern hemisphere, southern, I haven't, uh, been there at the time when it's all sunlight, but in, in the northern hemisphere, you might have, uh, sunlight, you know, all day long and very short periods of darkness. It's disorienting. It's really different. Um, and then, uh, I've never lived where it's been, um, you know, very dark most of the day. Um, there are places in the world and, and, uh, in their winter season where that's true. Um, we need, but we need both. We need darkness and we need light. And the thing that brings light, I believe, is the truth. And so when we let the truth into our own lives, see it as it is. And maybe the truth seems dark, but if we see it as it is, it's like that's what it is. That's the real. This is, this is it. Then we are able to, to let some light in. Light doesn't add anything to a room. If, if this room were in total darkness, 
and then we put a light on, it wouldn't add anything to a room. It would just show us what's there. And so that's the kind of light we want to bring, to just be mirrors of the truth of what's really there, what's really there. And um, once the truth is told, and that's the wisdom of the 12 steps that want us to get in touch with the real. Once the truth is told, I never have to pretend again. You know, when I was drinking, I was putting an awful lot of energy into making things look good. And I, I pulled it off pretty well. You know, everything was everything had to be perfect. God knows, you know. Um, the I always showed up for prayers in the morning on time. I always showed up for Mass. I always showed up at what I was supposed to be doing because I didn't, I was afraid if I didn't, someone might figure out something's wrong here. So I showed up. Can't be anything wrong. She's there. She's doing what she's supposed to be doing. And I was doing my job, doing it perfectly. You know, most of us are perfectionists, a lot of us anyway. You know, everything's got to be perfect because we want to control. You know, that's the whole thing. And... You know, when I stopped drinking, I didn't worry about it as much. I can miss morning prayer and not worry that they're going to think something's very wrong. They're probably going to think, oh, she slept late again, you know. That's <laughs> okay. Um, but that uh, pretending, pretending. And the big relief for me, which I thought was the worst thing in the world that could happen to me, was to be an alcoholic. I knew what it looked like. I knew what it was like for my mother. I knew what it was like for my aunt, who was a wonderful, wonderful person. And, you know, things were awful when she was drinking and couldn't control it. I knew what it was like for my uncles. And good men, and just couldn't cope with life. I knew what that looked like. I knew what the progression looked like. Worst thing that could ever happen to me is to be an alcoholic. There's even a book about adult children of alcoholics. It will never happen to me. It's our chant. <laughs> That's never going to happen to me. I'm not going to do that. What I thought was the worst thing in the world that could happen to me has turned out to be the greatest grace. Greatest grace, bar none. Coming to Alcoholics Anonymous. Being an alcoholic and being finding out there was something I could do about it. There was something I could do with it. So once the truth is told, once that light is shed, we never have to pretend again. You don't have to pretend anymore. You are who you are. It's like, okay, and then what's my choice today? What's the light I'm going to let into my life today? So, something to think about, I guess. Let's close this part by another couple deep breaths. That's how close God is to us. The Spirit of God, Spiritus, breath of God is within us. And if you'd like to pray it with me, if you have it, if not, just listen. Lord, make me a channel of thy peace, that where there is hatred, I may bring love, that where there is wrong, I may bring a spirit of forgiveness, that where there is discord, I may bring harmony, that where there is error, I may bring truth, that where there is doubt, I may bring faith, that where there is despair, I may bring hope, 
that where there are shadows, I may bring light, that where there is sadness, I may bring joy. Lord, grant that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted, to understand than to be understood, to love than to be loved. For it is by self-forgetting that one finds, it is by forgiving that one is forgiven, it is by dying that one awakens to eternal life. Amen. See you later. Someone need to make a note.